going to start in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. I'll read through some things, and then we'll dig into it, okay? Before we do, though, let's just dedicate this time again to the Lord, and it is yours. Jesus, we ask that you would have your way, and you'd speak very clearly to us. And what it, what it means to be a church that is guarded against and prepared to do battle against savage and ravenous wolves, what it means to live a life of generosity. So would you just apply this to our hearts, teach us. We've set this time aside in a very special way for you, Jesus, to come and speak to us. We submit to the authority and the power of your word, and we want to adjust our lives to the things that you teach us. And so have your way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Really fast, the Christmas services are like Christmas Eve, you know. We're going to be doing church like normal. We'll have a 9.30 and and an 11.15 service. And that'll be kind of like a normal church. We will be in something different than here in the book of Acts. We're going to have something more specific towards the season, I suppose, and talk about Jesus. And then at the evening, we're going to do our normal candlelight service from 5, to set, or five o'clock, and then we'll have one at 7. And, and guess what? We're going, to, we're going to talk about Jesus then too. So if you like Jesus, you should come. <laughs> but just to let you know, they will be different. So you're more than welcome to come to both and do whatever you want. Acts chapter 20, <clears throat> Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. We're going to stop there. Verses 33 through the end, talk about giving. And we're going to spend a little bit of time at the very end to discuss the idea or concept. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so we have really two sections, and it's just we're going to go through one, and then we're going to have a hard stop, and we're just going to go into the next one. But this one right here, Savage Wolves, the occasion, Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, as you guys well know, he says to take heed there in 28. There's a reason why. There's a reason why you got to bring something near and pay really close attention to it because there's some things that can come and will come inevitably, Paul would say, that can be devastating to the church specifically to people. As I'm watching that video that uh, they showed from the missions trip that they went on, everything that they did was to help people, you know? Because people matter and are valuable in God's sight. People, you know? And and helping them, even the idea of Bridge UA is helping them go from being lost to being found, knowing who Jesus is. Everything we're going to read here is about people. And how God so desperately loves them and desires that they would walk in the truth. In fact, John says that as he's inspired by the Spirit. It brings him no greater joy than to know that his children walk in the truth. So here Paul's warning that there's going to be some serious attack from walking in the truth. And it's hard and can get nitty-gritty sometimes. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay attention. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
An important point that we made last week, how it is God who calls a person into ministry. And you're going to see a difference here with these savage wolves that they are self-promoting, whereas God is the one who calls. And we want to be really careful to make sure that's exactly how it works. I don't appoint or call anybody into ministry. Bill didn't appoint or call me into ministry. He extended an opportunity as he saw God working. Does that make sense? He just, he watches God at work and says, this is what I believe God's doing. And then we walk in it, but I don't do anything. I don't have any authority. Bill doesn't have authority. No one here has authority. The board of elders has no authority to appoint or ordain anyone. It's God who does it. What do we do though? We have a role in it and we just recognize what God's doing. This is what it's saying. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And what do you do? You shepherd the church of God. You provide a place of pasture for people to come and eat of Jesus. That's what we feed people, Jesus. We want to shepherd the church of God and notice how valuable and how precious you are. You were purchased with his own blood, the blood of Jesus. If you ever wonder if you're valuable, you need to go no further than this verse. He loves you and you are valuable. He bought you with his own blood. What a precious possession you are. And what an incredible thing it is to steward such a thing, whether you are a parent, whether you serve in the children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult, adult, whatever it is, what a privilege it is to serve people. Because of that, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. And they're not going to spare the flock. He says, be ready because it's going to get nasty, right? So Paul's he leaves, right? He departs. Paul leaves, and it leaves a vacuum. And in that vacuum are going to come people who are going to say things and do things that are not what Paul has taught, not what the Holy Spirit has asked to be taught. And so he recognizes this, and I want to talk about what is a savage wolf? What does it even mean? The word in Greek is baris, B-A-R-Y-S, baris or something of that nature. What it means literally, and it's sometimes used in a literal fashion, is it means weighty and heavy, something that's really heavy. And so sometimes it's used like that. By extension or metaphorically, it means like burdensome, severe and stern, excuse me, violent, cruel. And so we have an idea here that these savage wolves bring something and they lay it down on you. They're heavy, really heavy, burdens. So how do we know when we've got a savage wolf? Well, there's going to be burdens being laid down. There's going to be heaviness that's going to go on. Check this out. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, he says, they bind heavy burdens. Guess what word that is? You're right. It's the same exact word. You could actually read it just for the sake of the scripture here. You could say, for they bind savage burdens on you. Heavy burdens. Who does? The Pharisees, they do that. They bind savage and heavy burdens, severe. It's hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves, they won't even move a finger to do any of them. We'll find that they're hypocrites. So what are these people doing? They're taking something that Paul has deposited, and they're going to lay on them burdens. In the context here, and I think we'll see this as we go on, we're going to be talking about the law. So when Paul would leave, the Judaizers would come along behind him. And Paul, who is the one who would preach grace, as did everybody else, he's preaching grace, and then people would come up behind him and say, oh, hey, wait a second. We love grace, but you've got to be circumcised. 
in order to be saved, okay? Sorry. Oh, yeah, he, Paul forgot to tell you. But just so you know, or no, you have to keep the law in order to be saved. And they'd come in after him and do this. And Paul's just saying, listen, guys, in Ephesians, Ephesus is going to happen. I'm going to leave and people are going to come in and they're going to tell you a bunch of baloney. And they're going to try to pull you away. They're going to lay these things on you. They're going to be savage wolves. They're going to bring heavy stuff upon you. Check this out. This is the opposite. Look at 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. But notice this. His commandments are not burdensome. Same word. They're not heavy. They're not savage. That, that's not the heart of God. And I want to bring a little bit of a distinction here. There are times when conviction is heavy, and that's okay. We're talking about a different weight there. Or perhaps you're listening to a message or you're listening to something online, and it's just like, man, this is heavy stuff. Like it makes you really pause and think. And you're considering it in your own heart, like, how do I handle what's being told me right now? Like, maybe this morning it would be that I would hope that there's a weight to what is said. Why? Because God's word is, like, real. You know, when you buy something that's really cheap, it usually doesn't weigh very much because it's made of really bad materials. You get what you pay for. And so we're talking about a weightiness where when you offer something to somebody, it's healthy and it's good. That's the kind of weight that is good weight. Let that weight sit on you. Let the Holy Spirit press upon you those areas that you need to work on, that God is trying to work. But then we have something totally separate and different, and so I want to make sure we see that too. What we're dealing with here is somebody who's going to bring heavy things upon you, and you're going to be weighed down, not conviction, not things that point you to Jesus, but things that are going to make you more self-reliant perhaps, maybe going to make you more moral. We don't want that. We want Jesus. And Jesus alone. And I hope you see that unfold as we look at this. His commandments are not burdensome. Are there things that God has asked of us? And the answer is yes. Are there things that God has asked of us as as believers that are really hard? Yes. Walking in the Spirit. Yeah, that can be difficult. That's a decision that I make, though, on the daily. Lord, am I going to obey you or my flesh? It's a decision I get to make. But hey, because of Christ, we're free to make that decision. Whereas before, you didn't have a choice. You're just going to obey the flesh. You have no power otherwise. Jesus has set us free from that. The grace of God has given us ability. Yeah, there's commandments, but they're not burdensome. They're not heavy or savage or severe. Now, men bring that stuff in. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 15 through 16. Check this out too. It's Jesus He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. So it's a different word. We have savage wolves, and here Jesus is referring to a ravenous wolf. We're going to talk about what that means. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? The answer, of course, is no. Or figs from thistles? The answer is no. This word ravenous means to extort, to remove by force. When Paul says, hey, when I'm out of here, people are going to come, savage wolves among you. Jesus referring to these same people who are ravenous wolves. Savage wolves will lay things on you. Ravenous wolves are taking something from you. What are they taking away? Your freedom, the grace of God. And they're going to put, and they're going to replace bondage into your life. It's hard. Sometimes it can get difficult to know the difference. And we'll talk a little bit about how do I know a savage, ravenous wolf. 
Well, Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruits, right? And so as time progresses and as we continue on, I got to get to know people, spending time with others. And you'll notice we've done some, we've had a lot of conversations about like being with people. Remember, if I'm too busy to be with people, I'm too busy. If I'm too busy to make disciples, I'm too busy, guys. Same for you as well. But here we see some of the really important reasons why we want to be with people, because you get to know them. They want to remove something from you. They want to take away what you have been given in Christ. What did Paul deposit to these people? Grace. If you don't believe me, you can look at verse 33, because he's going to commend them to the grace of God. That's what is going to give them power. That's what's going to give them ability. It's not a religion. It's not this set of rules and regulations. No, man, it's Jesus and the freedom found in him, and we'll develop that further. But we need him. And so there are these people, ravenous wolves, who will come, and they're going to take from you, and they're going to replace it with burdens, things that are not grace, that we find in Jesus, that he's done it. That work of the cross has satisfied the wrath of God because of your rebellion. It's been satisfied. No longer do you have to live under the weight and the guilt of it. You have been set free, and in Christ it is finished. Rest. Enjoy that. In fact, remember when Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly. That's the king of the universe speaking to you right there. Come here, he says. Savage and ravenous wolves will take from you and they'll burden you. They take that precious grace and they burden you with the law or whatever else it might be. Whereas Jesus in John 10.10, he says, the thief has come but to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I have come that you would have life and life abundant. That's what you have in Christ, man. Why would you let that go? Don't do it. We want to be really careful because being taken from is devastating. Losing and missing out on the the truth and the beauty of the gospel of grace will leave you hungry, exhausted, and burn out. It's never meant to be done on your own. Grace is what allows you. Grace is what empowers you. His grace, because check this out. God is the one who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's his grace that does it. Did Paul work his booty off? Yeah, you better believe he did. In fact, Paul said, I was working more than anybody else, but it wasn't me. What was it? It was his grace. His grace, the grace of God is what enabled him to do that. If you want to walk with the Lord, you guys, you need him. It starts with that, doesn't it? knowing him. You guys hear this? I hope that in in this context, in the context of savage wolves and ravenous wolves, as you consider the grace of God that you see how precious it is and how Paul's like, this is what people are going to try to take from you. Now, there are other things, and it's not always super obvious. The fruit of a person's not always obvious. Proverbs 27, 24, be diligent to know the state of your flock and attend to your herds. That there's a responsibility that we have Uh, to watch over and to guard the flock, but it requires being among them. And here we see that these savage wolves, guess what? They're among. And so as pastors, as leaders, we better be among because we got to watch out, right? You guys have been blessed, in my opinion, that it is difficult for savage and ravenous wolves 
to do any damage in a place where you're taught the word, real simply. In many ways, it inoculates you from these types of things. And you guys have a heritage and a lineage for 30-some years of having built, teach faithfully from God's word. You know the word. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Can it get difficult sometimes to divide? Yeah, there's places, but you know the gospel of grace. You know what Christ has done. You know that it was saved by faith through grace in Christ alone in his work. That there's nothing I can do to add to the righteousness that I've gained through Jesus. Nothing that you can do. Stop thinking that you can add to the cross. You can't. And that's, hey, that's what these savage wolves will do. Hey, cool, glad about Jesus. But remember circumcision, law, you got to do this. Don't do that. Don't. And it's like, stop it. It's Jesus. Now, listen, we're kind of going back and forth trying to get a full picture. Are there things, and is there a truth that we are called to live a holy life? And the answer is yes. We are sanctified. But the difference is the starting point. We start from a position of of the finished work of Jesus, and it's in that grace that we do this work. Whereas the others would say, no, you you need to work to get to that place, and that is 100% not the gospel. That would be heresy. I don't want anything to do with that. It's done, you guys. You get to rest in Jesus. And it's from that place of rest that we get to go and do that work. It's from that place where he enables us by his spirit and by the grace of God to do the work that he's called us to do. Don't ever forget that. You've been taught that. You know it. It's hard for a savage wolf to live among us because it's pretty obvious. When you hear him talking, sharing things, it's like, man, that's not right. That's not what God's word says it's not always easy, but sometimes it is. My wife was hanging out at Marshall's doing some Christmas shopping, and she was approached by this lady. I said, hey, are you a Christian? And she's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. She says, well, hey, do you think that Christmas is Jesus' birthday? And Christian's like, well, well, no, I don't believe it was the day that he was born, but it's the day we celebrate and all these things, right? <clears throat> and she had a problem, said, well, you're, you celebrate. It's pagan worship, all these things. She had a whole long litany thing, whatever. Steam one day, it's fine. You can think that. She goes on, though, was, was from this thing called, like, man, I forgot to ask her again. One Mission Society of the Church of God or something like that. It's a cult in Noblesville. And, ah, oh, man, they are the only true church. We missed it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but, uh, but it's like just her sharing these things. It's like, what in the world? You're, they're the only true church that's found in Scripture and they will introduce you to God the mother. Yep, how about that? So that's a good example, listen, <clears throat> of, well, that one's easy. She has nothing for me, right? She's got nothing. I don't want anything she's selling. <laughs> that one's easy. That's not always easy. We got to know the word, man. Know the word. Know Jesus. Let him be that thing, right, that, that holds you fast to this and that binds you to him like Jesus is the one. You guys know this. What do savage wolves do? They bind people with heavy burdens. They do not preach grace. They themselves don't live that way. They're hypocrites. They're severe. <clears throat> they're disguised as sheep. They blend in for a moment, but eventually their fruit is revealed. Let's know each other. Let's invest in each other. Let's spend time with each other. They rise up. Notice that. They rise up. They are self-appointing. They're arrogant and self-promoting, meaning it's not the Holy Spirit who makes them overseers, it's themselves. And you got to watch out 
<clears throat> Jesus is the one that we feed people. They speak perverse things. That word, the idea is it's distorted to turn aside from the right path. If you want, if you're taking notes, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter really discusses this very thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. As far as what this distortion looks like and savage wolves coming in and so on, he discusses it and, and deals with it there. Our job is to know the truth. They speak these things that are not appropriate. Perverted, distorted. I mean, sometimes it's like close. You're looking at it. It's like I, I kind of see the image of what's going on here, but something's off. I just can't put my finger on it. And so you get to know him a little bit more, and all of a sudden you're dealing with who Jesus is, and you realize, oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Like it is for Mormons, man, after you have done everything you can do, guess what you have access to then? God's grace. That's according to Mormon doctrine. After you've done everything you can, then you're saved by grace. And it's like, do you guys realize how terrifying that is? Having a conversation with people, it's like, couldn't you have gone to one more house and bothered one more person? And the answer is, yeah, you could have. Then you haven't done all that you could have done. You've never gained access to grace. Terrifying, man. Terrifying. We have something incredible, you guys. Grace is a little bit dangerous, though. It can be scary to talk about because it's like, man, he loves you. Is there anything you can do to cause him to not? No, man, he sees you as he sees his son. But if you think that grace is an opportunity to go and live however you want, you don't know grace. You've not experienced the true grace, man, where you know that it's so that it empowers you from a place of rest. What do these savage wolves do? They draw away disciples after themselves. And that should be like a big red light. If you interact with anybody, whether you come to church here, whether you go Wednesday nights, small group Bible studies, men's studies, women's studies, whatever it is, counseling, every single bit of it is to point people to one and one and only, it's Jesus. Here we have people who are drawing people after themselves. Check out what I know. Come here, I'll show you. Man, run away. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They bind heavy burdens. It's not Jesus. It's not grace. It's not for me, and it's not for you. <laughs> run away, man. Know the word. Know how to combat it. Be ready. Paul will say then, watch therefore, or therefore watch. What does that word mean? So remember he said, take heed, and then he says, watch. So two different things. There are actually some similarities here. Pay strict attention to. To watch means this, to take heed, lest through remission and indolence, I didn't know what that word meant, I'm going to explain it in a second, some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So to watch means to take heed, lest through remission and indolence. Indolence is habitual idleness. And so we'll be like this, take heed, lest through remission and habitual idleness, some destructive calamity suddenly overtake you. And so as he was telling these elders, like, he's like, you guys pay attention because it's coming. And if you're not watching, taking heed, all of a sudden you could just find yourself like, whoa, what has happened? All like suddenly this has taken place. <clears throat> this word, and this is something that I like read, I didn't come up with it. Do not be impressed. You can find it on Blue Letter Bible. This verb is used in what is called the present active imperative and here's what it means, okay? It's actually really important. It means that this command is expected to be followed not once, but it's an ongoing process. 
And so to take heed isn't just something you do this morning. To watch isn't something for just today. It's for like when you leave this building is what it really matters. And when you go to work tomorrow and live out your life, take heed and watch. It's a command that you've been given by the Holy Spirit that never stops, ever. Because the enemy is always there seeking whom he can devour. He's prowling about. You guys know this. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing or when you're feeling holy. This is all the time. This is ongoing. Notice in verse 32, he commends them to God. We've already looked at this word. It's paratithome. We saw it in verse 14 where, where Paul does this basically. He takes a group of people and he sets them at the table with God. He says, God, they're yours. Take care of them is the idea that we're looking at here. He does the same thing with the uh, Ephesian elders. He takes them and he sets them there. Interestingly enough, if you look in scripture and you have, you have to do a study of it, but there are like five different guys who became bums. Like they stopped following Jesus and they were like, <clears throat> they were twisted. It's likely that all five of those had a origins or a connection with Ephesus. And so Paul's telling these guys, like Ephesus was jacked up. Paul spent a lot of time there. Apollos was there. John was the overseer of Ephesus for a time, <clears throat> like the apostle John. And so he's like, this is real. It's going to happen. I'm giving you into the Lord's care because the church is the Lord's anyway. But notice he says, I'm commending you. I'm taking you and I'm setting you down at the table with God, but also to the word of his grace. Do you remember Paul is the apostle of grace, as, it, as were the others, but he really just talked about grace. Look up the word grace and read everything that Scripture has to say about it. You're going to find most of it is in Paul's letters, but he says, I'm, going to, I'm sitting you down in front of grace and I'm just begging that you guys know grace has come in. You guys read through Romans. It'll explain to you it's not of works. It's not the law. It's grace. A righteousness has been revealed apart from the law. It's Jesus. Put your faith in him. Trust the work of the cross. Rest and allow him to do the work in and through you. Don't go back. And so he commends them to the grace of God. The grace of God is able to build you up, whereas these savage wolves, they want to take from you and, build, and, and they want to tear you down. The grace of God builds you up as a church, and it gives you an inheritance among all the saints who are being sanctified. That's what we want to hold fast to. If you're taking notes, there's a couple cool scriptures. I'm just going to let you know what they are, and we're going to move on and shift gears real hard. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4 through 6, talks about how the, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law is beautiful when it's used as it ought to be used. The law is to be used to point you to Christ, to reveal that you are a sinner in need of salvation, that you can't keep it. Your heart is messed up, and the law is this mirror that shows you, oh, man, I, I need saved. It's a tutor, a schoolmaster that teaches you you need Jesus. Galatians 3.24, check it out. The law is beautiful. The law represents or reveals the heart of God and his holiness, and yet it's supposed to show you that you're not, and you need the one who is, and it's Jesus. And then Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 6 discuss that very thing. Total shifting gears here. You guys ready? That's lesson one. We're going to do lesson two now, okay? <laughs> because I don't want to get stuck on this later on, you know? So we have some time, and I just want to walk through this with you guys. And this is a life of giving, a life of generosity. We see here, Paul says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
Yeah, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and those who are with me. He says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this. You must support the weak. And remember, the words of the Lord Jesus, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We'll spend a little bit of time and talk about what that means. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on his neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. That's the elders there from Ephesus. 33, I've coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. What does that mean? It means he was content, that he had everything he could ever need, and it was in Christ. It's a remarkable statement. You'll see something even more remarkable, perhaps, in Philippians chapter 4, which Paul wrote years after this event took place. Paul's going to go to Jerusalem, and then he's going to get taken captive. He's going to be bound in chains, and he's going to be shipped all the way to Rome for his first imprisonment. Praise God for it, because he wrote us some really awesome letters when he was there. But this is years before that event took place. Eventually, after Paul has gone through Acts chapter 21 through 28, we'll get to it. Luke wraps up when Paul's in prison and he goes. Paul would eventually be set free. And he would travel around. You know, we get some allusions to that in in 2 Timothy and other scriptures. And then we have some church history that will tell us that he might have even gone all the way to Great Britain and Spain, you know, during his travels. But ultimately, he was, you know, arrested again. And under the reign of Nero, he was beheaded as was Peter, as church tradition has it, he was crucified upside down. But Paul says, I've learned to be content. Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Jesus is enough, is what he found out. And so Paul was trying to say, I'm not in it for the goods. I'm in it for people. I don't care what you give me or what you don't give me. Like, I'm in it for people. He wants people to know him. The Philippian church was really generous towards Paul. The Corinthian church wasn't. Okay, so a life of generosity, check this out. We are called to support the weak. You notice he says that. My strength, your strength, resources, and time, they are for others. It is a reflection of the heart of God and who he is. As a God who, as it relates to tithes and offerings and giving, check this out. The New Testament never uses the word tithe, and there's a couple reasons why. One reason is because New Testament's written in Greek, and tithe was a Hebrew word. The the idea of a tithe came from the Mosaic law. We're no no longer under the Mosaic law. Uh, And so we'll deal and look with it. Like there's New Testament does deal with the concept of tithing. We'll talk about it just for a moment, really briefly. I want to show you some scripture that deals with it. When you think of offerings, a New Testament equivalent is Romans chapter 12. And guess what? It's your life. He says, I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. When you brought a burnt offering, it was by your own volition. You weren't forced to do burnt offerings or anything of that nature. You came by your own volition and you said, I need help, God. Here's this lamb or here's this bull, whatever it might be. It was a sacrifice, but you are a living sacrifice. You're offering yourself to the Lord. What you're going to find is that Old Testament tithes and offerings, is the bars down here, New Testament giving, there is no ceiling. It's you being led by the Spirit as far as what you do. You're not bound to a number. You're not bound to this. We'll get to it at the very end. As it relates to tithes, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 3 through 15, it's an important section especially in regard to this section, this chat, where we're at right here with this more blessed to give than to receive. 
Paul deals with and discusses that God said, don't muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. Is he concerned about ox? He's like, no, he's not concerned about ox. He's talking about people that if they preach the gospel, they live according to it. They live by it. Paul's sharing this with the Corinthian church that was like stingy towards Paul. And Paul said, I have every right to expect that you would give material things because I've given you spiritual things. But Paul goes on in verse 15, he says that he'll never expect that from the Corinthian church because he was afraid that they would judge his heart. And he's like, even though I have every right to expect you to do these things, I'm never going to ask for it because I want you to know I am in it because I love you. And I don't want my motives to be questioned because of this. The Philippian church and other churches, guess what? Man, they just gave to him. And he received it very gladly. They supported Paul and his missions. But he wasn't going to require it of the Corinthians because he was afraid of what it would do to his ministry. Really wise, really awesome. As it relates to giving, I'm sorry, that section I'm talking about is, is probably one of the closest equivalents to New Testament, the, the concept of tithing, where it just discusses that you live by this that there's an appropriateness to supporting, you know, pastors and ministers. <clears throat> As it relates to giving, you'll find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 8, Paul discusses the idea that, there's, that God wants a cheerful giver. He says that if you sow sparingly, guess what? You're going to reap sparingly. And so he just discusses this with the Corinthians. This is after he wrote 1 Corinthians. He's just saying, hey, guys, just so you know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. God has asked to give. And he wants a cheerful giver. It's actually one of the reasons why, just in case you're ever wondering, why we don't pass plates. Nothing wrong with passing a plate, just so you know. Just so you know, there's nothing wrong with it. We just don't do it because it offers you a chance to worship. You get to choose to go and tithe. You get to choose to go and do this or to do that or to live generously. You're not going to do it when you're, when you're told to. It's not by compulsion. Here's when you give. No, you give when God calls you to. That's New Testament giving. It's New Testament generosity, so much beyond what we see in even Old Testament. This is what God has called us to. For 34 years, you guys, the church, has faithfully supported ministry that's here. <clears throat> Before we had online giving, this was supported. All Everything you see was supported by two boxes that no one knows where they are. Isn't that cool? Two boxes. God has taken care of this place <clears throat> because you guys are faithful to do such a thing. Those tithes and offerings, guess what? Souls of people. They've allowed pastors who've been called by God, I believe, to be able to do this work of ministry full time. And I hope that's a blessing to you guys. I hope that fills you up. I hope that you have benefited from these guys who have come and served the Lord like that all the years that Bill was here and then hopefully on to forever and ever, but hopefully it's a blessing to you. But you guys make it possible by faithfully tithing and giving and offering, right? That's what God has done. Now we have online, and so you can do it there too, but it's just an incredible testimony to the faithfulness of God to take care of this place. We all have a part in that, don't we? In giving and supporting. What does tithing demonstrate? I'll wrap it up real fast. Tithing demonstrates obedience, it's what God has asked of us as believers to not hold tight to these things, but to release it. And because it's obedience, guess what? Every decision you make is an act of worship. Tithing, offering, living generously, you guys listen, is an act of worship that you get to partake in, among other things, right? It is an act of worship. I hope you see it like that, that it's never a compulsion. You're never forced to do anything. You do it of your own volition. 
That is why it's worship. It demonstrates trust that God will take care of you. The first fruits meant that you had to trust God to provide the second fruits. And instead of putting it towards your family or taking care, God says, nope, I want you to give it to me. And I want you to trust me. That's radical sometimes. Sometimes it's nice to have that money in the bank, but you say, God, I trust you. You're going to take care of me. And you're going to take, I believe he can. Do I believe he will, right? Two different things. I know God can take care of me, but will he? Yes. He's a good God, man. Tithing demonstrates an investment in the religious health of the nation. That was for the nation of Israel. It carries over today, no doubt. And you guys look at those scriptures and see it. Nehemiah 13, 10 10 through 12, sorry, discusses that very thing. And, uh, you know, I, I could summarize it's up there. But he says, why have you guys forsaken the house of the Lord? The Levites, they had to go and work their land. They weren't able to be there to help the nation of Israel do their sacrifices and teach them the word or anything of that nature because the nation stopped bringing in their tithes and offerings. So the Levites are like, we have to eat. No one's bringing food, so we got to go back and eat. It's an investment in the religious health of the nation. And it was because these things took place that everything started to unravel because they went back to, they went back to work type of thing. <clears throat> it's an interesting section. Check it out. It's really fun to see. Finally, God is worthy. Tithes, offerings, things like that. It's a demonstration that God is worthy. It's about him. Generosity is about him. You know why? Because John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's who God is, a God who gives. And we as his people have the incredible opportunity to reflect that in the heart of God as we give. We're we're kind of talking money right now, but guys, listen, it's so important, perhaps even more so with our time. Right? These resources that God has given us, that we give freely of them. They reflect the heart of God who gives. In Malachi chapter 1, I will summarize very quickly. It's a really neat section. I wish we could open up and go to it. I would encourage you guys to read it. It's God, and he, he's speaking, right? Malachi is kind of speaking on his behalf. He says, you said that I, I said I loved you. And you're like, how have you loved us? The people say, and he's, oh my goodness, you guys. He goes, you guys bring me offerings of blind sheep, broken, distorted, and all these things. You bring me those. He's like, would you offer that to your governor? God is asking that of the people. When you bring these offerings, you bring me this weird stuff. Like, would you even offer that to the governor? And he said, I'm the king of the universe, and you guys are content to bring this stuff? What is God saying? Man, the heart of what you do is really important. Like, why are you doing this? And where's your heart? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you doing it because you have to? No, man, listen, you get to. A chance to worship him. New Testament giving is a huge shift from the stringent rules of the Old Testament. It raises the bar. Being generous is not a box to check. It is a heart that is cultivated. And as you guys hang out with the Lord and as you consider what that means for you going into the next year, however this is, we're here in Scripture, listen, know this, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He knows what he's talking about. My encouragement for you guys, God, pray, Lord, what does this mean? Am I holding fast to things that I ought not? Are you worshiping God as he asks you to? Consider it. Think about it. I'll never know. And that's a good thing. It's important. It's between you and the Lord, how you do that, you know? Other things are really obvious. Where you spend your time can be obvious. Where you spend your money might not be. You can hide that a little bit better, you know? 
but the Lord knows and the Lord sees it. So we just think through these things, and it's convicting. How do I handle these things? And so you take it to the Lord and you trust him. <clears throat> I'm finished, and time is out. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we'll get out of here. But if anybody needs prayer, or if you ever have questions, you know, we have a stewardship meeting. Uh, we'll have that in February. I have a date. I don't know what it is now. But we'll have a stu- another stewardship meeting where you can come and just ask questions. Uh, what do we do? Again, your guys' faithful tithing has enabled ministry and changed lives for decades. It's really cool what the Lord has done. It's a privilege to be able to serve in such a capacity and to be a part of a church that just faithfully gives, loves the Lord, worships like that. But if you ever have questions, come and ask. And then, hey, if you need prayer, we'll have some people up here. You can get prayer, okay? Let's commit this to the Lord. We do indeed, Jesus, commit this all to you from ravenous wolves, savage wolves, to the fact that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Even at the season like this, Show us, you have come and you've given. And because you have given, we now have capacity to, ability through your grace. I ask that you would guard, watch over, and protect your church as you always and so faithfully have. That as we feast upon you, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to teach us what is true, continue to teach us what is right, help us to discern the difference between right and almost right. We really and so desperately need you. And ask that you would lead us as a fellowship into this next year and we would just be led by your spirit. Teach us what it means to live a life of generosity with our finances, material things, but man, with our time. Lord, how can we give of ourselves so that you would be exalted? And in these last days, Lord, that is important. Stir us up, Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts. Call us. Help us to take radical steps of faith We would just give of our lives and and offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. You're worthy of it all. Thank you for this time. Have your way as you see fit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.